0: pop in your headphones and tune out your kids, and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Jordan, hey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Blake. I love the shows where we've been already been talking for 10 minutes. Those are my favorites. right? like, oh, wait, I have to start recording. (laughs) So you have a book that came out in October, correct? Yeah. That's Redeeming Your time. You also have a children's book that's coming out in April, which we're going to touch on as well. But you are basically a serial entrepreneur. You get it. Like you get being exhausted and pulled in a million different directions. And we were talking about this before we started recording, just that you're doing more than what a lot of, especially Christian voices in this space are saying, which is like, take back your time. Rest is important. And like, you're kind of like, (laughs) okay, but like, How? Cause I'm tired and I have like a really long to-do list. (laughs) Yes. So tell us, can you tell us just a little bit about kind of your story that led up to, you know, like being a serial entrepreneur that led to writing this book?
1: Yeah, sure. So I spent the first 10 years of my career as a tech entrepreneur. I've never been a pastor. I've never been a quote unquote full-time missionary, my most hated term in the world. Uh, I was in tech. I started and sold a couple of different companies. And today I I really view myself as a content entrepreneur of sorts like you, right? I'm spending a hundred percent of my professional time and energy creating books and podcasts and other content that helps Christians connect the gospel to their work. Jesus centric, not biblically based principles, quote unquote. How does the gospel shape the work that I'm doing today? And that's really why I wrote this book redeeming your time. It's one expression of that mission, helping us all connect the gospel and the example of Jesus in the gospel biographies to our perennial struggles with time management.
0: Yeah. And that's, I love that you kind of almost differentiate between like biblical and gospel, like, Oh man, that's, I mean, is that a whole nother podcast episode? Can,
1: can we go there? Cause I've we never can. been asked this, but
0: a hundred percent.
1: Oh, <sighs> People slap this biblically based label on everything, on stuff. And usually, what I mean, not always, right? I want to be careful here. There's a little too much sniping going on in the church. But a lot of times, what we mean by that is we slap a proverb onto a principle, a proverb that Christian or non Christian, nobody's going to disagree with, and call it the word of God, right? Which it is. Yes. Uh, no, no, I, I'm, I'm saying the content itself, the word of God. But, right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But there's a big difference between biblical principles and biblically based and everything being rooted in the gospel Amen. of Jesus Christ. Amen. And what Jesus has done for us and that being the striper. I'll give you one example with the topic of time management. So I'm sure like you, Blake, I've read a ton of books in this. Show. There's yeah. 60,000 time management books on Amazon today. I've read. I don't know, the 15 top bestsellers in this category, but they're all based on works. Yeah. Right. The implicit message of all these books is, hey, parents, hey, professionals, you're feeling swamped. You're feeling overwhelmed. Follow me, the author system. Do it perfectly, by the way. You got to do it Mm -hmm. all and you got to do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to find peace at the end of this road. Yes. Yeah. As Christians, we reject this and say, no, no, no. I don't do time management exercises to get peace. I have peace with God, Romans 5.1, right? I do time management exercises as a response of worship to the foundation of peace that is found in Christ alone, because he himself is our peace, Paul says in Ephesians. So I, I, again, Mm -hmm. that's what I mean by gospel centric. Yes. Gospel is our starting point for everything we do.
0: Well, Okay. This is how I think of it. Some of the the content that I have absorbed. Let's stay on the time management topic. That's quote unquote biblically based. I walked away (laughs) thinking I just read a whole bunch of Bible verses that had the word time in them, and that's about it. Now, ones that I've taken that maybe weren't like flashing neon signs. This is the Bible, but we're taught from someone who is rooted in the gospel. Like I've taken like workshops where there wasn't a Bible verse read, but the word of God was expressed through everything they taught because they were saying things like you say, your to-do list can be 20 items long for the day. You have peace and you get to work from a place of peace. Yes. And so I think that that's the differentiation. And I agree with you. There's a lot of sniping within the church. I am very vocal about a lot of the problems that I see within it because I love it, because I love the church, because I know what, it, what Jesus wanted us to look like. And you can't get better if we're all pretending like everything's fine. But the Jesus is the solution. And yes. Jesus walked out and we got to see what that looked like. like Jesus was busy. Like, it, yes. Jesus had thousands of people who were scrambling for his attention, for his time, for his proximity. But like you never read a story like I love that you call it the biographies yeah. in the gospels we're going to get into that. Jesus was never frazzled. Yeah. Like, he was busy that's the example. He was busy,
1: but not frazzled, not snapping at the other people in his yes. life. Yeah. He was busy but unhurried. He was productive yeah. without losing his soul. Yeah. And isn't that what we all want? I think so. And that's why I wrote this book and you're alluding to something that I want to say a little bit more explicitly, right? That the fact that these are biographies, a lot of times mm-hmm. in the church, we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John exclusively for their theology and their ethics. Mm-hmm. But as my friend John Mark Comers pointed out, they're also biographies of how the author of time managed his time. Yeah. when he was confined to the same 24-hour day that you and I are confined to today. Mm -hmm. And how arrogant of us not to look to the gospel biographies for wisdom here. And listen, of course, the gospels don't show Jesus with a to-do list or a calendar or a smartwatch, right? Right. But they do show him fighting for solitude that we're all fighting for right now. They show him seeking to be busy without being hurried. They show him dealing with distractions at work, my work, a guy literally dropped through the ceiling as Jesus was preaching one day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And because he was infallible God, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We can look to him as the perfect example mm-hmm. of how to steward our time today and how we do. It's going to be different. That's why I've structured this book around seven principles, timeless, I believe, Time management principles from the life of Christ and map them to more than 30 wicked practical practices to help us live out those principles in our modern context.
0: Okay. Tell us about the seven principles.
1: Yeah. Real high level flyover. Number one, start with the word, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus prioritized time with the Father above sleep, above eating, right? If he did that, how much more do we now? Yeah. If we don't care about redeeming our time for eternal purposes, then of the word doesn't matter right right but if we care about our work lasting this is non-negotiable principle number two let your yes be yes jesus said this explicitly so many time management books talks about you know setting new goals and doing new things whatever yeah we got to get the commitments we've already made with ourselves (laughs) under, under control amen principle number three descent from the kingdom of noise when you look at the gospel biographies The amount of time that Jesus spent in solitude is staggering, and I would argue it stands in stark contrast to our lives today. Principle number four, prioritize your yeses. Pretty straightforward. Jesus didn't say yes to everything, neither can we. Principle five, accept your uni presence, right? We all understand that God is omnipresent, but for 33 years in the person of Jesus, Jesus chose to accept being confined to one place at a time, just like you and me. And that has radical implications for how we think about our work and life and productivity. Mm -hmm. Principle six, embrace productive rest. You know, science shows that there are at least three God-designed rhythms of rest that counterintuitively make us more productive. And then finally, principle number seven, eliminate all hurry, obviously stolen from Dallas Willard by way of John Mark Comer. This idea that, yes, as Christians, we should seek to have busy and full lives, but we should never be so busy that we are snapping at others, that we're mm-hmm. frazzled, as you said, mm-hmm. if, and we've crossed over into that enemy territory of hurry.
0: Yes, absolutely. Those are amazing. And I've, we talked about this before. I love that you're like, here are the principles. Like We can flesh some of them out more, but very, and you said they connected them to like 30 Yeah. Right? Like 30 practices. 30 practices
1: to live out these principles. Yeah.
0: Tons of like just meaty content. A few of these that jumped out to me, the first one was the embrace productive rest. Yeah. I took the whole week off last week, like the week before recording, partially because I was sick and strep throat, which is the worst. But I have been more productive this week than I have been in so long. And it's because I've like chilled out for a hot second. 100%. And I'm somebody that's like alongside you heralding this message of rest being important and being productive and that you can't hustle yourself into success and therefore worthiness. And yet still, it took me getting strep throat <laughs> to take time off. And it's so dang counterintuitive.
1: It's so counterintuitive. One thing I'm really grateful for in the last few years of the church I feel like there has been this resurrection of conversations around how rest is good for our souls, which of course Mm -hmm. it is, right? Sabbathing, getting sleep, whatever, reminds me that God is in control and I am not. Yes. What we haven't talked about is what science makes crystal clear is that not only is rest good for our souls, it's good for our goals that we're chasing after. Our bodies and our minds. A hundred percent. I mean, sleep is the most obvious and the easiest for science to prove. I tell this great story in the book about um, Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones, right? Are you a Stones fan by chance? I mean, yeah. We're we're too young. To the degree that millennials
0: are Stones fans. Yeah. Yeah. That means like, yeah, I've heard of the Rolling
1: Stones. Yeah, exactly. So Keith Richards would sleep with a guitar and a tape recorder, Google image tape recorders. You'll know what I mean. By his bed. Just so that in the middle of the night, if you woke up, had an idea for a song, he could like record it real quick. So one night he goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, and his tape recorder had recorded all the way to the end. He's like, man, that's weird. Like, I don't remember recording it. So he rewinds the tape, he presses play, and unconsciously in his sleep, Keith Richards had written the first verse and chorus of Satisfaction, the Rolling Stones' greatest hit of all. What? And here's the here's the here's the beautiful thing. Scientists will tell you that, of course, that's an uber dramatic example. Right. But what happened to Keith Richards is happening to all of us every night as we good sleep. Our subconscious is making creative connections between the ideas that our conscious mind was taking in as inputs throughout the day. And that's just one of the many ways that I talk about in the book about how rest is productive productive for us. God designed us to need rest
0: so that it's good for our souls and good for our goals. Amen. I think that exactly what you said of, yes, we're covering how sleep is important for our mental health. Yeah. Rest is important for our health, mental health, and for our souls and that, you know, to prioritize it. But being someone who I've struggled with generalized anxiety disorder since I was like seven, it wasn't until I was in my late twenties and started understanding the science of what was happening in my body, what helped, what didn't. It's the same thing with rest. Science just like makes something that's already impactful pack this like extra punch, which brings us straight into the science of our relationship with our phones.
1: Yeah, oh man. Because,
0: you know, the the descent from noise. Yeah. Holy cow, has life ever been this noisy? Like, no.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're we're drowning. Drowning. In noise. And- I, I borrowed this phrase from Lewis, Lewis's fictional devil screw tape in the screw tape letters. Yeah. He said that he would make the world the kingdom of noise in the end in order to stop God's people from being effective. And he wrote that 75 years ago, right? Right. How much more true is it today? And listen, by noise, yes, obviously I'm talking about our smartphones, but I'm also talking about news, mm-hmm. entertainment, and just art. Insatiable desire to be in the know. Mm-hmm. To, and honestly, I think we are craving divine omniscience, right? Mm. By our addiction to noise.
0: Yeah, I, one of my favorite memes I saw in the midst of the like the real like quarantine part of the pandemic was I love that we gave millennials the option to be alone with their thoughts, and they said, "No, I'll figure out how to make sourdough from scratch instead." Exactly. Like, and that's not just a millennial thing at all. That was just what the meme said, but it's true. I mean, I'm super ADHD. And so I've always got some, I've got an audiobook or a podcast or some form of like something always going on because that helps, like, that stimulates me and helps me focus. But when I do turn it all off, it's like, oh. This is how we were meant to exist. Like, this is Eden. Like, Eden was quiet. And it's
1: probably when you have your most creative ideas. Absolutely. If on Family Feud, they took a survey and said, where do you have your most creative ideas? Guarantee. Number one answer, in the shower. I was about to say, in the shower. Because it's pretty much the last place on earth that we haven't drowned out with noise
0: and even then there's like waterproof speakers now, so. Exactly. Right right right, 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 exactly. <laughs> It's better at the time. But again, this is just out of exa- out of
1: line with the example of Christ yeah. biography. honor. Well, open up to any chapter of the gospels, and I can almost guarantee you're going to see Jesus withdrawing to a solitary place, to a lonely place, mm-hmm. right? He needed solitude in order to think and be creative, and most importantly, to listen to the voice of God. Yes. And if he needed that, we need it so, so much more in our crazy, noisy world
0: today. Absolutely. So that kind of leads us to talking about what, because I think sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. What does the Bible really even say about time management and about productivity? Because as you said at the beginning, you're not going to open the Bible and read about Jesus with an Apple watch and with a Google calendar. So can you like just briefly, because I know that this is something that we could probably spend the next like hour or two hours talking about. What does the Bible say about like time and productivity and how we manage that?
1: Yeah. So listen, the 32 practices in this book, and we, we can give one of the most valuable ones away for right now, if you want to. Absolutely. That doesn't come directly from scripture. That comes from common grace, right? And God giving human beings, Christians and non-Christians alike, the ability to think and figure this stuff out. But the principles descending from the kingdom of noise. Oh, I think that's clearly evident. A hundred percent right? So let's get real practical for a second. Cause I think your listeners are like, yeah, I need less noise in my phone. Here's the deal. Number one source of noise is our smartphones, mm-hmm. right? Like this isn't a mystery. No. So how do we take control of this? And I think one of the biggest culprits of noise are messages, right? Incoming text messages, social media, DMS, emails, whatever. See, I, I use this analogy in the book. Imagine if the mailman mm-hmm. Instead of coming to your house one time a day, started showing up 150 times. Yeah. But he didn't stay at the curb. He got out, came to your front door, rang the doorbell, and you got up from whatever you were doing, opened the door, took the mail. Maybe you open the mail, maybe you don't, but you at least steal a glance at who it's from.
0: You know it's there.
1: That's what we're doing Mm -hmm. all day. Mm -hmm. So, real practically, how do we take control? Three steps to taking control over when you check your message, not the mailman, you're in control. Step one you choose when you're going to check your messages every day. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how many times, like if you're in sales, you got to check your messages way more than I do as a writer. That's fine. What matters is that you're in control and you choose when you're going to check them. So whatever you want, 10 AM, 1 PM, 3 PM. Great. Get your times. Step number two, build a list of VIPs that can access you anytime, right? We all have got people in our lives That we want to be available to nonstop. So for me, that's my wife, my kids, school, my assistant, a couple of team members that I'm working on on a project with make a list of those people and give them unfettered access to you on the device. They're most likely to reach you on. If something's urgent, your cell phone, Yeah. add them to your favorites, put your phone on, do not disturb, and then calls, not texts calls from those people and those people alone are going to come through. Step three, set crystal clear expectations with your VIPs. You can't just stop responding to messages immediately cold turkey. Yeah, You got to go to your VIPs and say, hey, listen, I'm trying to serve you better at home, at work, whatever. Here's how you can help me. From now on, I'm only checking texts and emails at whatever times you want, 10, 2, 1, whatever. It doesn't matter. However you're a VIP in my life. So if you need me outside those times, don't email me, don't text message me, call me me on my cell and I'll answer every single time that I can. If you follow those three steps, I've coached more than a thousand people like in group coaching now on this particular practice, all of them are reporting, getting their work done up to twice as fast and doing their work with a lot more peace and a lot less anxiety because every new message requires you to decide again, is the thing I'm working on now, (laughs) the most important thing for me to be working on right now. So three real simple steps. It could take you 20 minutes to do it. You could do it right now. Oh yeah. It's a game changer.
0: Okay. But have you looked into now there's like the new, like the different kinds of do not disturb? Oh yeah. That's a freaking game changer. So I only use... The I use the work and the personal. My phone pretty much stays on personal right now because I like that it tells people that you have your notification silence so they don't think you're blowing them off. Because it'll say, like, exactly, Jordan has notification silence and it'll say notify anyway. Which I'm like, come on, Apple. Come on now. Come on. Like, let us, you're like teasing us with boundaries and then being like, the people can do whatever they want, really. And I mean, I'd be lying if I said I don't do that to my friends sometimes. I like send them a meme <laughs> and it says notify anyway. And I'm like, notify anyway. but I pretty Real much talk. leave my phone on personal. And when I'm working, I switch it to work. And it, like, I kind of am very proud of myself that I've already implemented a lot of your things. There you go. Because I have like my husband, my two assistants and my kids school are like the, like, cause in, if you go into the do not Disturb, there's now there's all these settings and like, options and when you open certain apps certain it's it's fancy now and like only certain apps so like my coaching i use voxer you can allow notifications from just voxer to come through so just very practically if this is your if you're like this feels like very difficult to implement apple is actually for once made this as easy as possible
1: Made it super, super easy. And this is one, so this is one of the 32 practices in the book. And when you get the book for free, you also get a ton of videos that I've recorded for free that show you step-by-step how to do all this stuff. Cookies on the bottom shelf, trying to make it easy for us all to redeem.
0: That's awesome. So now that we've talked about like kind of how to implement this, I want to talk about the other side, which is what's going to try to make us not, or kind of what's going to be the hard part of not just that one thing, but like just this whole idea of redeeming your time and all that kind of stuff. So you talk about five enemies in the fight for depth at work and at home. Tell us about those.
1: Yeah, so we've already touched on one, you know, this enemy of external distractions, but I actually think there's a lot of internal enemies going on here, right? One of them is the temptation of fake productivity, right? You know, let's face it, it takes a lot less effort to go to meetings all day and answer emails than it does to sit your butt in a chair for two hours and write something great, right? It's just easier. And our sin nature ensures that we're just lazy by default. So that's another enemy, fake productivity. Another one are quick highs, Mm. right? Checking our phones and emails for the literal dopamine rushes they provide us. Another enemy is the savior complex, which I think is one of the biggest ones. You know, this We have tricked ourselves into believing that if I don't answer immediately, the world's going to end. Yes. And if I don't, if I'm not the first person to see that piece of breaking news, oh man, we just can't handle that. We believe we're the savior of the world and only Jesus is in control. We got to remind ourselves of that. And then the last enemy in our fight for depth. And yeah, I'm talking about deep work, but I'm also talking about depth at home, Mm -hmm. right? is our makeshift omnipresence. Yeah, it, it, this this idea that somehow, yeah, Jesus was unipresent. He was in one place at a time when he was on earth, but I can be in more than one place at a time, yeah. if not physically, at least mentally. And this is a lie, right? Yeah. And it's sin. because We're just craving the omnipresence that belongs to God and God alone.
0: I want to go back to what you said about kind of the savior complex. I think one of the ways that that can manifest for people that I know I've struggled with is this obligation, because this is a big change. Going back to just talking about when you answer your messages alone, that's yep. a big change you're asking people to make. Huge. And when I started kind of like turning on my part, like putting things on personal, I'm but now I'm like bad about checking messages because now I've gotten really comfortable not being so accessible, but we feel obligated to literally be accessible. If you're in any form of internet job, people on the internet feel entitled to your time and to your energy and to your responses. What's kind of your wisdom in the like, I agree with you, there's a savior side, but there's also like the, probably the genuine like, oh, but I've created this culture where I am always accessible.
1: Yeah, so two pieces of advice. Number one, if you have a boss, Ask for permission. Mm. This is step three of the three steps I gave her. Set expectations. Go to them and say, Hey, listen, I want to tr- treat it as an experiment. Yeah. I want to try this for two weeks. I want to try only checking my emails at these times. Are you cool with that? Yeah. And I'm giving you an out. You can call me and reach me urgently, but can we try this and see how much more productive I am? Yeah. Uh, so that's number one. If you're an employer, oh my goodness, one of the most life giving. Things you can do for your team is shoot them an email and say, Hey, it's come to my attention that many of you assume that I expect you to respond immediately to message. Because, by the way, the data says there's one report that says 60% of workers assume their boss expects immediate responses, even though it's never been explicitly communicated. Yeah. Let them off the hook. Say, Hey, guys, I've come to my attention that, that you expect, you think I expect immediate responses. Here's the deal I don't. Yeah. From now on, You've got 24 business hours to respond to an email. And if I need you more urgently, I'll pop in your office or I'll give you a call. Yeah, I did that. I used to run a, a big tech startup, 125 people. I did that with my team and our productivity went through the freaking roof. And oh, by the way, employee satisfaction mm, also. Yeah. Because nobody wants to feel enslaved to their phone or their email inboxes. So in a very real, very practical way. This is a means of blessing and yes. serving your people. And oh, by the way, the organization.
0: And yourself. Like, because 100%. if you're hold, holding them to that, then the expectation is that the same is reciprocated, you know? Totally. And now I'm sitting here thinking, I need to com- have a conversation with my assistants because we just talk on yes. Slack all day long. And I've always just like, we're just chatting, but like, is that cool? Is that helping your productivity? Just a little bit of something to think about. So something, a topic that we've touched on a couple of times throughout our conversation is this idea of hurry. We talked about that Jesus wasn't hurried. He wasn't rushed. And you talk about eliminating hurry, which you said came from Piper to Comer to you. Yeah. But I know one of the things that you kind of differentiate in your book, you kind of like hone in on it a little bit more, which funnily enough was kind of my thought when I read, I love Comer's book, but I was like, this feels very macro. Like I need- Uh Yeah. This, like, I need to zoom in on this a little bit. Tell us a little bit about, like, kind of what that distinction is and what that looks like.
1: I had a lot of friends who didn't read John Mark's terrific book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, because they were like, hang on a second, like, I've been saved for good works, Ephesians 2.10, 10, and I should have a busy life. And so I think this distinction between busyness and hurry is really critical to understand. Yes. And I, I tried to make it a little bit more concrete in the book. I think busyness is having a lot of things to do on a Saturday, right? Hurry is when I'm so busy that I get pissed off by picking the quote unquote wrong line at the grocery store because I can't afford the 30 seconds I lost, right? Like busyness is having a lot of meetings on my calendar. Hurry is when I don't have enough time to look other human beings in the eye as I'm walking through the halls from one meeting to the next, right? Jesus was crazy busy but he was on hurry. He was never so busy that he didn't make time for other human beings. He was never so busy that he was snapping at people and angry and frantic and anxious. And I think that's the line. John Orberg once said that busyness is this outward condition, right? It's a condition of the body. Hurry is this inner condition of the soul. And I think we can all feel that. I think we all know what that looks like now to get practical for a second though. How do we stay on the right side of this? Right. And uh, this is where I I I hope redeeming your time took this conversation to another level because, yeah, Sabbath is a part of this and rest is a part of this, but at a real practical level, we can't eliminate hurry unless we get really good at counting the cost of our time Mm. before we're given a fresh supply to spend. Right. All of my friends have a financial budget, very few of my friends. Have a budget for their time, yeah, which is insane. Because by God's grace, we could all earn more money. None of us could earn more time. How much more intentional should we be about budgeting our time before we get a fresh supply every single day? And that's kind of the culmination of the book is helping readers design what I call a time budget template that can be flexible and can be edited every single day, but is at least a starting point for budgeting where we want our minutes to go.
0: That is so good. I love that. I'm really excited about reading this. I love what you said about like a state of being versus like the state, like I call it like a heart set, like mindset, heart set is kind of what I've always, I've always talked about it kind of in terms of hustle. Like that's kind of the word that I use. And so this idea of hustle versus hard work and how different those are. If I'm hustling, I am trying to like, Scratch and claw my way to something that's gonna make me feel fulfilled and successful if I'm working hard, like I'm doing that because I am already like God already said I'm okay. I'm okay with God, and now I want to like be obedient in the ways that he's gifted me. And so when I first started talking about hustle and hustle culture, people had really like acclimated themselves to that word. and so they I was kind of poking at their sacred cow a little bit. and so I got a lot of, so are you saying we shouldn't work hard? Are you saying we shouldn't be hard workers? And you're kind of saying the same thing. It's not that you shouldn't be busy. It's where it, like, where are you working from? Who are you working for? Who are you working from?
1: Yeah. It, it's an issue of identity. And it's also an issue of recognizing where results come from, right? I, I talk a lot about this tension between trusting and hustle. Yes. Scripture commands us to work hard. I mean, Paul talks about this all the time in his right. letters, but scripture also tells us, as David said, wealth and honor come from God alone for he rules over everything. Deuteronomy eight, it talks about how all wealth comes from God. We don't produce any results in and of ourselves in our work, period. Yep. Everything is a gift of grace. And when you realize that he's in control, of the results that allows us to hustle and rest to be busy without being hurried. It's embracing this tension between trusting and hustling so that we can ultimately rest in Christ.
0: He's in control of the result. That's good. hundred percent. That's good. I don't think we believe that. No. I think even healthy people don't believe that because I think I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I know that, but I also you know, okay. So there's the other side of this that are like the Christians that are like, just, I just need to get out of God's way. And I'm like, if I get out of God's way, who's he going to use? Like, so, you know, there's the whole, like, I want to get out of God's way side that I think we swing really far to the other side, which is God has given me gifts. And now I want to go get them out into the kingdom to bring more people to the foot of the cross. Both mindsets can kind of verge themselves unhealthily, and you, if you're kind of this natural-born hustler, that very good place of God has gifted me. I am effective, I am capable, I am dangerous for the kingdom of God. You can start to believe that the results are dependent on you, just kind of naturally.
1: Yes, totally. Totally. But it's this beautiful tension we see all throughout scripture. Yeah. While God can work alone, more often than not, He chooses to work in partnership with loyal beings. Amen. But He's still the source of the results because our source of life and breath and talents comes from him and him alone. Amen. He created all things in in Jesus for Jesus, for God's glory. We're just a conduit to that blessing and those results in the world. He's the source. We're the instrument through which those
0: results are carried out. Amen. Love that. That's a word because I think people tend to fall in kind of two camps, right? There's the the people that like struggle to turn their brain off, just like ideas and creativity and go go go. And then there are there are like the side of people that struggle to to even like they, they may feel like this doesn't necessarily apply to them all that much because they're not get up and go, they're not overly motivated. And so, but I think that the reality is is that that truth of the results depend on him like cover both camps. A hundred percent. Because. I think we can all kind of look at each other. Like I look at my friends that are more rest minded and I'm like, can I, I'd like to crawl in your brain and take a nap, please. Like, I don't know what that, that feels sounds really like. nice. Yeah. yeah. But they, I think they also can look at people like you and I and be like, how do you get as much done as you do in a day? And it's like, well, I'm a crazy person. So
1: Yeah. Christians tend to fall on one of two sides of this double edged sword. That is the gospel. The gospel is both our ultimate source of rest and ambition. Exactly. This is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Paul says, we have been saved by faith, not by works so that nobody can boast. That's what enables me to rest. Got it. I don't have to do anything today. My status as an adopted child of God is secure, mm-hmm. regardless of how much success or failure I have. But- That rest should compel us to move over to the flip side of this double-edged sword to be wildly ambitious for the things of the Lord. And that's verse 10, because we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, i.e., saved, i.e., the purpose of our salvation is to do the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. And not to get too theological for a second, but that word there, good works that Paul uses is his favorite word for works in the New Testament. It's this Greek word called ergon. And everybody thinks, ah, good works means sharing the gospel and giving money to the poor. Yes. And according to my Bible's concordance and every concordance I've ever found, it connotes, quote, work, task, and employment. Mm -hmm. So Paul's saying your response to resting in the gospel is to roll up your sleeves and go to work tomorrow and do your work with love and excellence and as a means of worship and advancing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven that's the purpose of our salvation
0: amen i mean that's i remember the college t-shirts that the fca would wear that said audience of one like that's right let's bring that back (laughs) let's bring Let's bring it back let's bring it back jordan tell us just really quick before we close about your children's book that comes out in like a month
1: yeah so my mission in life is to help christians respond to this radical biblical idea that what we do matters. for eternity. Mm-hmm. Redeeming your time is obviously one expression of that. But I, I got three young daughters, and I really want them to get this at an early age. And I've read my kids so many children's books—I'll call them "quote unquote" cute children's books—about yeah. the creation account of Genesis one. And I'll be honest, they drive me bonkers. <laughs> Here's why: they all follow the same pattern. Day one, God created this. Day two, He created that. Day three, day four, day five, day six, the end. Here's the deal, people keep reading in Genesis 1 and 2. Day 6 wasn't the end of creation, it was just the beginning. It's when God passed the baton to his children, his image bearers, and said, Go fill the earth with things that point to my glory. And so I wrote this children's book, The Creator and You, to communicate that. It's essentially a three act play in three minutes, right? Act one. Yeah, we see God creating, we see him working in those first six days, but real quick, we get to Act 2 right? And it says, and now you might think there are stories ending after the first six days of creation. But in fact, this is just the beginning because mm-hmm. God made you to look like him and act and work and create with him. Because while in six days, God created a lot. There are so many things that he simply did not like bridges and baseballs, sandcastles and s'mores. God asked us to create and fill the planet with more. And that leads us into the third act of the book, just watching kids Respond to that, yeah. filling the earth with lemonade stands and art and tree forts and spaceships and culture. So, I wrote this to help my kids, to help your kids, Blake, view their current work of creating art at home and homework and chores, or whatever, and their future careers yeah. with God ordained purpose and joy.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about that. I can't wait. I'm going to need to go pre order it.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, if you, so here's what I'm going to do. The the artwork of this thing is just gorgeous. It's epic. It is not a cartoony, cute book. I I'm literally framing the art in my home. And so we made these really beautiful book plate stickers. And if you go to jordanrainer.com before April 9th, I'll hand write a dedication to your kids and I'll ship it to them in the mail. So kids are going to get their two favorite things in the world for me. Number one, stickers and number two physical mail
0: 100 game over game over. that's amazing well i'm really excited about that i'm sure people can get them at your website for the signed one but your other books yeah. wherever they get books
1: wherever they get but yeah come on and Do we t- have to say this anymore i know like, uh,
0: i like well it's funny because when i first started doing interviews it was like tell people where they can get their book your book and it's like it's amazon and barnes and nobles guys <laughs> like
1: if you don't know where to be if you don't know where to buy the book i I don't know what, I don't know how to help.
0: But the problem is that every once in a while I'll have a self-published person that they're only selling it through their website.
1: Those are. You can get the creator in you and redeeming (laughs) your time wherever you buy your books. But yes, go to jordanraynor.com afterwards. J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-Y-N-O-R.com because I'd love to send these awesome book plates to your
0: kids. That's awesome, Jordan. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Blake. So good. (laughs)